I got to say, when I was reading what your podcast was about, I was going, oh, boy. You're like, you, the guys you have on are the real deal. And, and I, I mean, hats off, you know, total respect. Uh, you, it's, it's super cool what you're doing. So I, it's an honor for me to be on here. Battleline Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well out there, you know, which, which is a hard thing to do right now with the news cycle. I don't care who you are. If you have any shred of humanity, which I assume everyone in our audience does, it's just hard day after day going through uh, and and seeing what this news cycle is and uh, and and being able to wake up every day and be positive in your own life because what we're seeing out of Gaza, of course, is absolutely horrific. And spoke about in the last week with uh, last show with Dan Gordon and. Yeah, there, there's nothing that, that we could do collectively. I mean, of course, you, you could donate to causes, but uh, I, unfortunately, I think that this is going to be a new story for a long time to come. Uh, I, I do not see things slowing down. And as there's any type of, uh, of I don't want to say progress made, but but any any type of news that, that's breaking out of that region, we're going to do our best to cover it on the show. But there's not much more to say than what we said in the last episode with IDF Sniper, uh, screenwriter Dan Gordon, and that's why it's always an honor to have him on. I'd, I'd love to have him on for a longer interview at some point. Um, in, in positive news regarding the show, man, I have to say the reaction we've gotten to this Don Dockin interview has been absolutely awesome. Covered on so many sites. We, we got coverage uh, covering that, that show on Blabbermouth, on Chris Jericho's website, on Brave Words. Uh, all different types of websites are covering the Don Dockin interview. And I really love speaking with Don Dockin just because simply I'm a huge fan. Um, if you're not watching on YouTube, head over to YouTube just because I'm going to say I am rocking the Islanders jersey. It is hockey season, uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, you're going to love this interview with Jim Shockey. Uh, we talk hunting, we talk writing, we talk life, and most of all, we talk the theme of living life with no regrets. Uh, and, and that is something that Jim Shockey truly lives his life as a man who just conquers all because He's done TV. He's done hunting with with big name celebrities that we'll speak about. And now, at the age he's at, he he's putting out and, and is now out his first novel, Call Me Hunter, which, as you'll hear, is something that's been in the works for years and years. So before we get to that, I gotta talk about Ned. One of their best products is their Brain Blend, which guys who are experiencing men and women who have experienced traumatic brain injury have so many positive things to say about the Brain Blend. I think this is such a innovative product because there's nootropics on the market and there's also CBD. This is the first product I know of that combines those two. And so you're taking that at night. I like to take it at night because CBD certainly makes me sleepy. Uh, and then you're getting the effects of great sleep, uh, all the all the things that help to remedy post-traumatic stress that we've spoken about on the show. There's even people who are saying it works for things like Alzheimer's, but you're also getting those benefits of brain function. Uh, and, and certainly guys who are coming back from combat with traumatic brain injury, instead of taking all these pills, if they, if they feel they don't need them, they're able to take a natural remedy that is really helping them out. So check that out. Check out uh, Ned's Mellow Magnesium as well. Great for sleep. And also a lot of Americans 
and Canadians, because we have a lot of Canadians listening to Jim Shockey on this episode, and worldwide, are deficient in magnesium. So that's a great supplement to take. That one is available on Amazon. But you're going to get the best deal on all Ned, Ned supplements through us when you go to helloned.com slash battleline as a first-time customer. So do that now. Head over to helloned.com slash battleline. Or add the code BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash BATTLELINE. We love Ned. They've been with us for so long. And our uh, our listeners and viewers have been getting some great results with Ned. It is truly a game changer. Uh, no matter what you're looking to change in your life, go to their website, helloned.com. They've got a supplement for you that's going to help you out. I, I guarantee you uh, their, their uh, body butter awesome as well i like their um i like the one that that uses the menthol as well i i that's that's a great uh skin item to use i love everything from ned so check them out helloned.com slash battle on let's get over to jim shockey From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Mother I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battle Line Podcast, and on with me, Jim Shockey. And actually, when they sent me your book, Call Me Hunter, it's like it's hard to even describe what you do because you have your hand in so many things. So I'll try to sum up some of it. Canadian Armed Forces vet with the 4th Canadian Ranger Patrol Group, avid hunter, uh, host of various shows on the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, and of course, Call Me Hunter is out today um through simon and schuster uh outdoor life magazine i know this is like a big quotable has called you the most accomplished big game hunter of the modern era you're not saying that but they're saying that and you've hunted in six continents and 50 countries and it is an honor to have you on yeah thank you very much that's 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 a mouthful all that stuff but i guess when you're as old as i am and you've lived life 100 miles an hour that's that's the result yeah, you are a guy who doesn't seem to have any interest in stopping. I mean, I just had Dan Gordon on the show, who is, uh, you are young by comparison to him. I believe Dan Gordon is like 76 years old, was, you know, IDF sniper, the director of and writer for movies like The Hurricane with Denzel Washington and Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner and uh, Surf Ninjas. And he's always doing something. He's either writing or he's working on a film or he's doing stuff for Israel 
And uh, I said to him, like, you know, you know, with all due respect, like you're 76 years old. Do you plan on like hanging this up all up and retiring at some point? And uh, he laughed because he was like, even though, I, you know, I'm a dual citizen of Israel and the U.S., he's like, English is my my native language. And he's like, retirement, that's not in my vocabulary. I, I never stopped. No, it, it, I mean, you get one life. You you literally get one life. There's no redo. So to sit there at, at some point when, you know, you're facing your maker and saying, you know, gosh, I wish I would have. I regret that I didn't. I, I mean, it doesn't even compute for me. You, you, this life, we, we have eternity to take it easy and relax and be retired. You know, the, why, why during this one little time period we have this one window why why sit still i mean to me it just (laughs) live life not just breathe but actually live life Uh, yeah i'll never retire either yeah a lot of people are are like that though in terms of not taking advantage of what they have and having regrets i could tell you from doing this as long as i have you know i surround myself with so many guys who are former military or active duty because of the work that i do but as a lot of this audience knows, and I always try to, you know, let them know, so I'm not accused of stolen valor or something. I never served in the military. And when I go to Vegas just about every year for SHOT Show, I end up running into so many people who are part of this world, whether it's the hunting and shooting world like yourself or the military world. And they've come up to me and I guess confide in me because they're used to listening to my shows and stuff. And so many times they go, man, the one regret that I have is I didn't serve. I wish I could go back and serve. And I just think, man, I agree with you. Life is too short to live with those regrets. All right, you didn't serve and you wish you would have. There's still so many things that you could do now and you could serve in in other capacities, even if you're too old to join the military. I'm a classic case of that. I, when I grew up in Saskatchewan, Canada, I didn't even, I I didn't realize Canada had a military. I mean, I knew (laughs) World War II, you know, we were there on Juno and, and uh, did our part, but, but, uh, I, I, it wasn't an option for me. So later on in my life, uh, you know, when you said earlier I served with the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, I, that rank of, was honorary lieutenant colonel. It was bestowed upon me. So yes, I wore the uniform for six years, and and I did what I could for my country serving, but not. I was never in the field of battle, although I had the full rank of a lieutenant colonel. Other than, other than in the field of battle, then I had to defer to the the commanding officer, the legit commanding officer, but uh, you, you you can always do something. It's never too late. Like I say, I that rank was not bestowed upon me until I was in my 50s, six, uh, yeah, 50, probably early 50s. So, wow. so yeah, you, you can always do it. And there's never, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have no regret because it wasn't an option for me, but I'm really, really glad when, when the troops chose me as a, as a, um, honorary lieutenant colonel to work in conjunction with with the commanding officer the lieutenant colonel that that uh that you know i had that opportunity and i i mean i latched onto it and and hung on to it they give you three years and then the troops decide depending on your performance whether you get another three years six years as max doing it the way i did so yeah i don't want anybody out there you know thinking that i'm stealing valor either you know i i did not come up through the ranks and uh and one thing that will probably make a lot of the enlisted members happy, the generals hated me because I, <laughs> you, know, you know, I was with the Rangers. We're regular forces. So in Canada, so, so, you know, I, I, I long hair is fine for me, 
even though I was wearing the uniform, it was uh, quite an interesting, uh, I, I got a lot of walleyes from the, from the generals whenever we met. Well, you know, I was going to say, speaking of, uh, you know, hating people at the top who kind of run things and, and that type of thing, I wanted to connect that with something. So our audience, uh, although it's primarily U.S., I do always look at the stats and we do have a big audience that listens in Canada. It's the second uh, biggest country of, of people who listen to the show. We've had guys like Jeff DePazion, who was JTF2 sniper and Rob Furlong, who at one time held the record for uh, longest uh, longest yeah. kill shot. And of which there are many amazing snipers in Canada. I don't know what it is. I guess it's just that it's a part of the culture there. But what I wanted to connect that with is I hear all the time from Canadian listeners who are like yourself, who love hunting and shooting, who grew up in that culture. And they are understandably terrified that in Canada, this is going to go away because you just look at who the prime minister is there. And, you know, in the U.S., I think a lot of people just like Trudeau would love to get rid of hunting and shooting in here. But the difference is we have the constitution and it's pretty set in stone of the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And I do feel like in Canada, they're doing all they can. They're taking away handguns. And I mean, it's not hyperbole. They're doing all they can to disarm the population. Yeah. The, the, the um, we don't, we're not protected by, by any, any, amendment like you are we, we literally could have all our guns taken away by our prime minister if he if he thinks he can get away with it saying no more guns for any private citizens and turn them all in and no compensation i mean there'd be law lawsuits and whatnot but if they thought they could get away with it they would do it tomorrow and, and what a, pe a lot of people don't realize if we have the the highest gun ownership per capita of any country in the world. So Canada is, you know, you think we're very nice and yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and hello, and you know, yes, please, and all that. But, but uh, you know, we own a lot of guns. Uh, now, the urban center, the people that live in the urban centers don't. And as is usual, it, it's tyranny by the majority. They don't have guns. They don't understand why anybody want guns. So why should anybody in our country have guns? Because we don't in our city. Well, you know, Canada's, I mean, I, the percentage of, there, there's hardly anybody lives 90 miles above the U.S.-Canadian border. Beyond that, it's it's vast wilderness, and, and guns are just a part of way of life. I grew up with guns. I mean, we, we, my dad didn't get a moose every winter. We didn't eat meat in the winter. You know, I grew up in a trailer park, so it's not like, we, you know, I had a silver spoon shoved in my pie hole, but, but. <laughs> You know, guns were just, you, you just grew up with them. And, and yeah. it's part of the Canadian culture. It really has. To, it's what brought us to the dance. So, yeah, you know, it, it's really frustrating for those of us that, um, you, you know, we own guns and we, we you constantly feel vilified and marginalized by, by you know, our prime minister and his ideologies. You know, and, and I mean... He's not technically smart enough to have an ideology, but you know because he just caters to everybody else that goes along, that quacks in his ears. He he just spouts off this. I mean, it, there's, you know, there there's video of him saying before he was prime minister, yes, guns are part of the Canadian. He just stands for nothing. He stands for nothing, and that's a problem when you have a weak leader. Which, you know, we're we're seeing that in in not only our Canadian country, but yeah, guns could be taken away with with an act of parliament just that simple an order in council is how they banned the last bunch of uh, guns or tried to it's uh 
you know, that's been tabled now until uh, the next election. If he gets back in again, then we're going to be under attack again as firearms owners. It's it's not a not a nice way to live because you feel like you're, you're treated like a criminal and, and you go, why? You know, I'm patriotic. I'm family person. I've got wonderful children. I pay my taxes. I don't break laws. And yet <clears throat> here we are being, you know, held out on this outer lunatic fringe, which, you know, that's not what we are. It's, uh, and, you know, it doesn't help that mainstream media promulgates that, that, uh, that same stereotype. Yeah, where do you see it all going? Because there are so many Canadians who look up to someone like you and they're probably looking for leadership of like, how do we instill this in the culture? How do we make sure that this doesn't get taken away from our country? And I think there's probably other Canadians that are just so frustrated, they they leave. I mean, Jeff DePazzi, who I mentioned that we had on the show, very talented uh, military uh, member, JTF2, which I know is considered one of the highest ranking units out there in Canada. Uh, he's married to an American and and they, I believe, still live now in Arizona. And I think Jeff prefers living in Arizona because he's like, I, I could do what I want here. I could teach courses and he, and he doesn't have to deal with that stuff. So I think, I don't know. I mean, are, are people like yourself just going to get so frustrated that they say, I'm, I'm moving down south? You know, my both my grandfathers were American. Uh, you know, the first shock he came to America in 1736 uh, to Philadelphia, the only shock, and we're all descended from him. My uh, sister is American. You know, my niece and nephews are American. Uh, our daughter and our son-in-law are now dual citizenship or dual citizens of America and Canada. Uh, I had a, a um, I had an application in to, to get my American citizenship. And, and I, I had to actually back it down because of the tax ramifications, you know, because everything we had up here would then be taxed. I don't know. Don't ask me smart people with <laughs> know how to crunch, crunch all kinds of numbers. That yeah. They said, look, you, it just means you worked half your life for nothing is what's going to happen. It's uh, crazy. You know, like the government tries to keep you stuck. So, you know, you, you can't be free to move where you want and feel more, basically more secure or protected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you could if if you weren't in my situation. I'm 65 years old, so you know I, I've I've built up a lot of net worth over the years working hard. Um, but but you know, back to your question, it, it just means that I you know I've considered it, and and I love my country. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I'm patriotic as heck. I'm proud. You know, my father was in the military. My father-in-law was wounded in Korea, fighting for Canada. Uh, my my father always said that uh, Hitler. He uh, he quit because uh, he heard that my father was headed over there. So he was literally getting on the ship when the armistice came. So you know, I, you know, I'm patriotic to to leave the country because of of poor leadership, and um, I, I think there's a better way to deal with it. And I, I've talked about it many times about getting into politics. We can all sit here and bitch and moan and complain, but you know, when someone says, okay, well, why don't you run for a municipal office? Why don't you run for a state legislature or provincial in Canada? What, or, or what about federal? And, and we say, who needs the headaches? I don't want to be, you know, attacked from every which side because, you know, I, yesterday I, I used a straw to suck my Coke out of my you know, Coca-Cola. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whatever, you know, like someone 
you know, they, they just come at you, you know, or, or whatever. Back in high school, I, you know, kissed a girl and, and, you know, they come back at you with, well, you're some kind of a mass murderer. So, yeah. you know, but the bottom line is, if you want change, you, you have to actually, you have to sacrifice. I mean, you have to sacrifice. And, and it's something, sometimes things are greater than your yourself. And, and so I've looked at running for politics. That, you know, the problem is that the people that have embedded themselves in a lot of these political parties, and I don't care if it's this side or that side of, of the spectrum, um, th- there are people that didn't, they weren't gainfully employed in the first place. So they, they are now controlling these, these parties. It's not, a big, it's not a big group of people that are determining who's leading our, our countries. Um, you know, so, so, but they've got, they've got to really take control on it. And so to get in there, you're going to have to fight all of that within a party before you even get nominated A and then B, win the nomination to actually run against the other party, the opposing party in an election. But, um, you know, again, back to your question, I think that maybe it's better to try and make change from the, internally. We've, our systems are set up well. They were set up by smart people a long time ago to, to be able to affect change when exactly what's happening in the world right now or our world here in North America, exactly what's happening, it's, it's set up to change, but good people have to stand up and, and be counted um, and, and forget about making money and forget about you know, their, their self and their ego because they're gonna be called ugly all day long. You know, for, and I use that metaphorically. Yeah. They're, uh, you, you just have to you know, step up to the plate and, and take a swing. And that's so why I've, I've dabbled with that idea of getting into politics here in Canada on, on a federal level. And, and everybody said, well, you'll go crazy because, but yeah, but what if, what if a hundred other me's, you know, that feel the same way I do common sense and, and look at things, you know, with tolerance, you know, yes, this, this side believes this and this side believes this, you know, I, okay. Why they're both smart people, but, but, you know, these ones hate these ones. Well, let's let's look at okay, why? What is their worries, and let's try and address it. I think there's way to build consensus on that, or at least if you're a leader, tell the one side, look, here's a big spoonful of cod liver oil because it's good for you. <laughs> it tastes shitty, and you don't want to you don't want to have it, but it's it's it it needs you need to take it, and and that's where you have to. That's what makes a strong leader is, is saying, oh, you know, this is better for the country. I'm leading this country, and this is better for our entire country even though you might hate the idea of this it's it's better for all of us and that's not what we're getting nowadays so so yeah to run away I, i've never been a big fan of running away either um I, I i agree that there's some huge advantages being down in the states uh, compared to what we have up in canada in terms of of our um, our leadership right now and i you know i'm not american so i can't speak to your your leadership, but our leadership. I think it's funny because I think our audience would agree. Our American audience, just like our Canadian audience would agree. Uh, we have terrible leadership here in terms of, you know, because we don't get super political on here, but we are a Second Amendment podcast. And and I, I think in terms of all that, yeah, they're trying to do the same thing Trudeau is. But the difference is, as I said, Second Amendment is that they yes. can't just, uh, you know, have one law signed. And all of a sudden, they're going to take away all the guns. It does it, in states. It does unfortunately work like that. But throughout the nation, you know, it's just that would 
I, 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 would, I was about to say that would never happen here, but we've also seen things happen in the past few years that we never th thought would happen. So the, the, you the, truly uh, never know. You know, you, you've got the you've got the dual uh, form of government as well, which with the Senate and and we have, you know, you you've got your electoral electoral college, which, which also balances that. So yes. they can't they can't force something through very easily. Um, in Canada, it's a little different. So our House of Commons can vote on it, and our Senate is not elected; they're actually appointed. So and they're toothless. They're toothless. They, they've never stopped, as far as I know, you know, I'm speaking under my hat here, but no significant laws where they said no. As the Senate looking in on this, this isn't going to happen, House of Commons. They, they just kind of, you know, they talk and they talk and they go and have nice lunches and, and, and fly around and have committee meetings and then, you know, rubber stamp, rubber stamp, rubber stamp yeah. in the government. So we're even less protected than you are. Even if you didn't have your Second Amendment, you would still have to go through this dual form of of, uh, of lawmaking that we do not have in Canada, you know, it's there, but it, it's it's pretty well titular. There's no there's no power in the Senate. There could be if they actually would vote with any kind of gumption or, or stand up for anything, but they don't because they're all appointed. So and they're all good old boys that are uh, good old ladies. Am I allowed to say good old ladies? Probably not. But, uh, good, <laughs> on this podcast, old... you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever the fuck you, you want on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll try that and see how these sound bites show up down the road, abused and, and misused. But, uh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we're you guys. You guys are well protected. You know, consider yeah. yourself well protected, even though you're attacked. You're well protected. We're we're not. We, we are not protected. We're, we're literally the whim of the prime minister and his ilk away from, from losing our right to, to own firearms uh, with no compensation even. Like, they, you know, like I say, there'd be lawsuits and it would be, uh, I mean, I don't even want to go there. And yeah. I think that's why, that's why they haven't done it yet is because they, they just don't feel they have enough of the people to agree to it to pull that one off. That, that's just so undemocratic um at least in our new country to go to other parts of the world and and there it's it's de rigueur you know they take away the firearms oh yeah australia and, and we do yeah. a lot of listeners in australia they, they've seen it there i mean they have no way of fighting back uh what the government does but in in terms of your passion for hunting and firearms ownership and where you've traveled uh, what are you up to in terms of that realm and what do you have on the horizon? I mean, are you going to do any more traveling with this? You're going to shoot it and put it up somewhere. Uh, I know people love seeing you out there and just doing what you love. Uh, you know, I, 2016, I, you know, our children were getting married, our son and daughter, there'd be grandchildren coming down the tubes and I had to write a novel. So in 2016, I, I decided 2019, October, Mozambique would be my last international trip. And uh, November of 2019, I sat down and started writing my novel, Call Me Hunter. Yeah. Uh, you know, COVID hit right after that. And uh, we were in Canada. I mean, we were pretty well in, in handcuffs. And we couldn't even leave our local area there for a time. Um, and then my wife got ill at the end of COVID. And, and uh, it, you know, at this point right now, I don't see international travel in my future i mean i maybe i'll go just for a, a lark but not 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 in any uh, i was 306 days a year on the road for 20 years traveling to exotic 
crazy, you know, Liberia, Chad, Central Africa Republic. Uh, um, we were over in Somalia. I mean, you know, just Iran, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. I mean, all the countries. Yeah. That's all I did was travel. Russia, every part of Russia should have had honorary Russian citizenship. There was there <laughs> enough. But uh, I don't see that in my future right now. Uh, so, so you know, I, I've got other things I have to spend my time on, uh, you know, my novel and, and sure. writing. And I, which we'll I, get I, into for sure, because I want to get into this. But um, but in 2023, then what are you doing in terms of shooting and hunting? Are you still a guy who goes to the range on a regular basis? Are you still hunting where, where you can in Canada? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm an outfitter. So so my, my clients right now, as we speak, are up in the Yukon. Uh, you know, on an hour and a half by airplane away from the nearest road in, in my, you know, 12,000 square mile, 7,500 or 7.5 million acre Rogue River opening territory. There's not a single road in there. You know, it's all just vast remote wilderness. Um, so I'm still outfitting. And I was up in the Yukon here about uh, two months ago. I went for a caribou, could have gone after moose and grizzly bear, but I, just, I was only there. Three days was all I managed to get in, but uh, um, I'll head to our ranch in Saskatchewan, go after whitetails in November after my book tour, and I'll uh, next spring Vancouver Island for bears, you know, but not not the crazy wild, you know, dangerous stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that you know, the Yukon is dangerous. It's you know it, we've lost three pilots over 25 years, mm-hmm. you know, an airplane crashes. The crash my Super Cub here two years ago told it. So so it's. Uh, you know, it, but not not the not the into the really remote other parts of the world. North America, yes, but uh, no. I, and and you know, going to the range, I've shot a lot of guns. Like I've shot a lot of guns. Uh, I could imagine. It's just you know, so so to me, it's like someone who digs ditches, and you give them a, you know, here here's a fancy shovel to dig more ditches. That I, I mean, I love it because I've done it, and I'm you know, but but I. You know, I, I am probably remiss when it comes to how much time I spend at the range. And, and you know, it, you can lose it. You can lose your, your skills quick enough. So, so I really, you know, it's probably a shot across my bow here. You're asking me that question. I, <laughs> I, should, I, should, I should get over there. And, uh, but, you know, again, they've taken away our, you know, with our last prime minister, he got rid of all those no common sense rules, like having to go to the RCMP you know, Royal Canadian Mounted Police Station to get a permit to take your handgun from your house to the range and back every single time. I mean, it's absurd. You've already, you're the most highly vetted part of our Canadian citizenship. And, and yet you have to go get a permit to take a gun that you already have a permit to possess and use from your safe to the range and back. You know, so that our last prime minister got rid of it. So that's no common sense at all. You already you already got the permit by us letting you have the gun, so you know just take it to the ranges back. Don't be taking it down to the grocery store or anything. But but um, you know I, it, they made it a little bit more onerous for sure. You know the the oversight on you know it's onerous oversight yeah. on and bureaucracy over top of just trying to go shoot a handgun. You know, we're allowed to own them. I, I'm allowed to. You know I've got several handguns. Uh, you know they're they're just really really registered and. And, um, you know, you have, like I say, you have to be vetted and have the right licenses just to be able to possess one. 
Yeah, I know that because we've covered that just in the past year alone. They've changed a a lot of the laws and made them. I mean, I think it's fair to say they're just trying to ban handgun ownership altogether, trying to ban certain long gun ownership altogether. Um, But you know what I'm wondering? Over the years, you must have hunted with some pretty cool people. I like I could picture you and, and Ted Nugent or something like that on a hunting trip. Like, who are the coolest people you've had the opportunity to shoot and hunt with? Well, I mean, you know, funny, Ted and I have talked many times about, like, why haven't we hunted together? We actually haven't. Uh, you know, we talk every time I talk to him, we you know, say, hey, we got to get together. We just we just haven't haven't done it. Uh, you, know, you know who is pretty cool is Shawn Michaels. The oh, wow. Kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was neat. He was a good guy. You know, is he a good? Is like, he a good shot? Yeah, he's a good shot, too. Yeah, he's he's legit. I, I guided him to two bears. Uh and he uses bow and arrow. I mean, he he's good. You know, he's he's uh, nothing, nothing like you know the Shawn Michaels you see on TV. I, I've guided um, you know many of the astronauts and uh, you know a lot of movie stars and stuff like that. I don't know. I I honestly don't. I don't pay a lot of attention to the. Uh, to me, we're all equal, and we're you know we're once you're in the field, you're 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 a hunter. You're just a hunter, and and we're kindred spirits. Doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper which I've also hunted with uh, both. In fact, I started as a pauper myself, so I, I'm pretty well versed on what it is to be a pauper and a hunter. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I honestly don't, I'd have to, uh, Jim Kelly, you know, super cool guy, uh, that, you know, the quarterback for the Bills for four Super Bowls and, uh, um, you know, great guy, just a, a great, I mean, there's just, just so many race car drivers, other ones we're not allowed to talk about. Because, you know, you're on non-disclosures. So yeah, you, yeah. You, you yeah th- like and that, I guess there probably are those people, right, who love this and they're like, keep it under wraps, though. I don't want to deal with the politics. Tons. There's tons. And and why would they? I mean, why would you Why would you want to be uh, – gosh, I just want to say names here, but I can't. But, you know, why yeah. would you want to be that person and you're in Hollywood and you, you come out as being a hunter? There, there's no good comes of that. I mean, I would it. say the the good of it is just standing up for your beliefs and, and you have a voice to use and being out there and saying, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And, you know, because hunters and shooters, as we all know, in America and Canada are vilified constantly. Every time some lunatic goes on a, a you know, killing spree at a at an elementary school, these terrible things we're seeing somehow all gun owners get grouped in with these psychopaths. And I do think it takes responsible, great people to be out there and say, this is why I'm a gun owner. And this is why this is a great thing. And this is why we need gun ownership. Like, I think you need those people to combat that narrative. Uh, Hey, (laughs) I'm with you. Of course. I mean, of course you're out there, but when you say, yeah, yeah, what good could come of it? I think just being, being someone who has, as Chris, if he was here, would say the intestinal fortitude to get out there and say, this is what I believe. Yeah, but but okay, let, let's just look at it from their perspective. And I, I'm going to speak about one person that I know who's a hunter. And, and I'm not going to say any names, but just say, if you were to come out and tell the world, like, this is really easy for you to say and easy for me to say, because what, what are they going to do? Send me home? Uh, you know, I... I you know, I make my living at it. It's it's not a, you know, it, it doesn't. You can't really. You can. My record is eighty eight death threats in in a twenty four hour period. 
you know, so, so it's not like I haven't gone out there and said, but what am I really going to lose? And I think, yes, it is my right. But what happens if you were this person I'm thinking about and it came out that you were a hunter and you, even worse, you admitted you're one. And you, uh, you know, I would say, you know, in the billions is what you lose. Billions, overnight, billions of dollars. You and I, what are we going to lose? You know, so it's easy to say that we, you know, it's your responsibility to stand up and fight for it. But there's there's people like that that they just can't. They just can't because it's not only them that loses the money. It's people that work for them lose their mortgages. You know, the kids, you know, whatever, don't get food or don't get shoes. You know, I'm, 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 uh, it's a little hyperbole there, but, but the reality is you can't expect those people. They'll come on board when they can, you know, and then that pendulum will swing. So it's, it's like momentum. You know, if you can, it's really hard to get, you know, push a truck to get it going, but once it gets going, it's a little bit easier and a little bit easier. A little, and, and then you, you know, then people can join in once they see it's already going. So, so I, I do think it's up to us, and I don't think we can look to those people to stand up. I mean, guys like Chris Pratt, they said it. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, who, who you know, I mean, I, I have no idea why he lets all the spam and crap on Facebook still be allowed. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that part I detest about him. But he came out and said he's a hunter. He, you know, he lives a field-to-table lifestyle. You know, so that's, you know, that costs those people a lot of money. So, so we also have to keep perspective of what it's like to be in those, in their shoes. And yes, I agree with you hundred percent. If you're going to take the responsibility of being a hunter and a gun owner, you're shouldering the responsibility to stand up and represent hunters and gun owners. Uh, to me, it, it just doesn't even, I, I could care less about billions of dollars for me personally. I, I could care less about my life, you know, throw me in the middle of the Coliseum with the lions because I truly believe. I truly believe. So if I truly believe, you know, you, you can't hurt me. You can't hurt me. You know, my physical body, you can hurt, but you cannot, you cannot take that belief away. And, and yeah. money doesn't affect that at all. But, but I, you know, we, we got to cut those guys a little bit of slack. You know, the Hollywood, you, you'd never work again. You know, that's, they have that much power, the people that are making the decisions. But once that momentum, if the rest of us can keep this thing going, you know, pushing that truck, get it going where where they can then join in without, without losing everything that they work for in their lives, um, then I think you'll you'll see them jumping on board. You know, athletes and movie stars, politicians. I mean, they're they're all over the world. Uh, you know, kings, queens, they all do it, but they don't talk about it. Yeah, it's and just, I, by the way, I think that's why when people are out there at the forefront saying what they believe and and putting their career on the line, putting money on the line, we have to support those people because of exactly what you're saying. All right, guys, before we continue this interview with Jim Shockey that I hope you're all enjoying, there is no shortage of hunting and shooting talk on this episode. And you guys know already where we're big into that here at this podcast, the battle line podcast. Uh, there's guys at Fort Scott munitions who have hunted at some of the same places that Jim Shockey speaks about gauge over there at uh, Fort Scott and some of the other guys were in Africa pretty recently doing uh, a trip for hunting. So check out Fort Scott Munitions, the best ammo on the market. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker 
incapacitation. This ammo was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammo outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of that trigger. And uh, if you pan over to me, Harold, these tins are available on Fort Scott Munitions' site. These are awesome. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, but you're going to get the best deal through us when you go to fsm.com and use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast, fsm.com, but make sure to use the promo code BATTLELINE to get that 15% off. fsm.com, promo code BATTLELINE. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Let's get right back to Jim Shockey, author of the book, Call Me Hunter. I want to get into this book, so I got to tell you something kind of funny. So um, Simon & Schuster is is pushing out your book so hard because I always talk to David, your publicist. We've had Brad Thorne plenty of times. I have gotten, I believe, like four copies maybe of this book in the mail. I have like the unedited soft cover and then the regular soft cover and the hard cover over here. So they're doing a great job of getting your name out there. And of course I, I was like, let's get Jim Shockey on. I'm, I'm very glad that we were able to set this up, but yeah, getting into the book, call me Hunter. I'm wondering what made you want to write a novel like this? Was it, was it inspiration from a guy like Navy seal Jack Carr who has taken his experience into being a, best-selling fiction author now with thrillers is it is it inspiration from those type of guys or is it just like this is on to the next chapter of yet another thing you wanted to accomplish yeah th this is actually the last chapter or at least certainly you know it's the it's the anti-climax of my life i i knew i'd be a novelist from when i was 10 years old i literally started writing my first novel when i was 10 years old and and realized you know eight pages in that i sucked I didn't have it, you know. There's actually a skill involved with, with of uh, the the craft of writing, uh, and and more more importantly, at that age, which I also envisioned my museum, my hand to man museum of natural history, cultural arts, and conservation. I knew I would do that with my life. So those two things is why I lived my life as I did. I lived it purposely. Uh, the collecting I could do back in those days, uh, seashells, pretty rocks, insects steel fishing, boro fishing lures from my father's taco box or my grandfather's even better for my museum. But writing, I realized I had to hone the craft. I, you know, I needed an education first and then, then I had to live life. You know, some people can just get educated and learn how to write and then make it up uh, right out of university. I, you know, they're writers, that's their career. That's not the way I could do it. And that's not the way Jack did it. I mean, you live life first then you have a story to tell as opposed to telling a story so that you can live life, use that money or whatever, the time that it offers you to, to live your life, whatever you want to do. So, so I, I started back then, but then realized I couldn't, I had to live a life. So I, in 1993, you know, 30 years ago, I penned the first lines of call me Hunter. Javago is dead. I hunted him down and I killed him. And I wrote that first whole page exactly like it is today and and i sat there you know about to start the next part i said you know i haven't lived life enough yet even though you know i was in my middle 30s by then i 
I had not lived life enough to to really consider myself an author. So I I um, of the kind of novel that I wanted to write. So I I just kept going, like I say, 300 days a year on the road, going, 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 just filling my life with experiences and adventures and travel uh, and knowledge uh, and hopefully a little bit of wisdom over over that time too. But um, then in 2019, that's what I said. I sat down and said, okay, it's time. 2019, November, that was time to, I've done all that other stuff and now it's time to, to write the novel. So yeah, I, I'm a firm believer. In fact, I, I think I wrote a blurb like that for uh, Jack. I was there when he got the call from Chris Pratt uh, saying he wanted to to option his terminal list book. It wasn't even out yet. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was right standing right there with John Dubin and I and, and Jack. And we, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun time to, you know, it was Jack Carr or, or it's, uh, it's Chris Pratt on the phone. And, you know, <laughs> and, and at that time I had not started my novel. I mean, I told Jack, I said, look, I, you know, I have a novel. I just have to sit down and write it uh, and I'll send it to you when it's done, which thankfully he, he took the time to read, <laughs> you know, he, that's, unbelievable that he actually did that but uh, yeah, yeah he so seems to be talk. a guy who who likes to give back in that sense which brad thor was the same way and when jack Carr yeah. came on the scene and i think there's yeah. some people who see everyone as competition and then there's other guys who want to collaborate more and and build the brand and and i think they know that if someone picks up jim shockey call me hunter they're a fan of the genre they're going to pick up the next jack Carr book it's it's not like people are going to read one book and then i'm i'm done reading these types of books no, and, and they've they've proven that, you know, I mean, in, in the writing world, what I've discovered, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a writer. That's not my been my career. I, I've been a liver of life. That's been my career. Um, you know, so so coming into the actual industry of writing, it, it was fascinating to me because, it, you know, it's very, very few authors will recommend a, a, a manuscript to their agent or to a publisher. I mean, they, what, what's the upside for them? Well, they've created competition. That's one way to look at it. But the downside is that that they won't, the publisher doesn't, thinks it's crappy or the their agent thinks it's crappy and they've wasted 10 or 15 hours of their time reading a manuscript, a raw manuscript. So so I get it because then, then the you know, that you'd be resentful, especially when you're getting a thousand manuscripts a week, like Simon & Schuster does, you know, raw manuscripts. So, so, you know, it's not, it's just not done in the industry. So when Jack Carr recommended mine to Emily Bessler, I mean, that was, I mean, and I know Brad Thor helped him along the way. Yeah. And I will yeah. absolutely, because again, you know, it's not the, what, what are they going to do? You know, no, if I believe something, I sincerely believe it. And that's good enough. It means, you know, if my, if my agent knows me, then they know that I sincerely believe this. This is something good. If you don't like it, that's that's okay. It's a difference of opinion. But my opinion is valid, and I truly believe in this. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't care about losing everything that I work for in this world of writing. Uh, if it's good, it's good. And, yeah. and also, like you say, you're a stronger team. You know, the character James Reese is a hunter. You know, I mean, how super cool is that? He's take he's flipped the stereotypes around. Yeah, he, you know, he's he's a pretty masculine guy and and probably you know, there'll be some readers out there who find it toxic, you know, but that's their problem. There's a pile of people that love that character because he is masculine. Look how many books Jack has sold. 
You know, what he had three bestsellers on the best New York Times bestseller list at the same time. I mean, that's unheard of. So, so you know, I think Jack is doing it the way it should be done. We should all be helping each other. That's that makes that makes that's their civic duty, and it makes us stronger as, as people in in our communities, whatever that community happens to be, whether it's the writing community or your local community. Help people, pay it forward. You know, help them if you can. You should. You know what? Well, your 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 uh, viewers are going to kill me for this one, but Karl Marx said, you know, from those according to their ability to those according to their need, and it was the one thing that he got right. At. The rest he was totally haywire about. So everybody, please don't send me the. Yeah, copy. although it's probably the context of it, right? Because when Karl Marx was saying it, it was about like the redistribution of of wealth. Right, and and what I'm saying is, it's a responsibility if you have to to give. You know, and that that makes good, strong community. And that's what Jack did for me. You know, he helped me along the way. That's what Brad Thor did for Jack. And and it's what I will do if, if Call Me Hunter gives me any kind of a voice or any kind of power in that industry. And the more we get in there, you start moving that, that pendulum back the other way. It becomes the catalyst. I mean, however you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use, it it it, it starts to change the perspective on on that type of character. You know, that people that think that way, you know, that, hey, they're, they're kind of cool. And, and what they do is it's awesome. I mean, you know, they live a field to table lifestyle. We shouldn't be holding them out on the outer fringes of our society. In fact, we should be, you know, idolizing them because of what they do. And, and we wish we could do that, too. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, and, and I believe that Jack believes that, too. And, and people that do help others that have our perspective on like second amendment, um, you know, that we all work together and, and don't divide among our own little group. You know, we, we get divided and conquered by people that want us gone. You know, th th when you, you said earlier about the guns in Canada taken away, they don't want you to have any handguns. You know what they did? They, they, they banned 32 caliber handguns. Well, why did they ban 32 caliber handguns? You know, 38s are perfectly fine. 22s are perfectly fine because there was very few 32 caliber handguns. So they they basically cut off a little segment of the hunting crowd, and they'll cut off another segment. You know, if they can, like the the semi-autos. You know, well, a lot of people don't have them. They go, oh, it's not me. It doesn't affect me. And we we can't allow that. This we have to stand up together and say, no, we're all part of this. We're all kindred spirits here, and we're all working together for a common good, which yeah. which I think is also a common right, not just a good. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, you know what I was going to ask you about when you were saying um, how you're someone who needed to live life before you put out this book, before you wrote an entire novel. Uh, and, and, you know, in the life of Jack Carr, for example, we know he served in plenty of deployments as a Navy SEAL. He's seen so much combat He's seen so many life or death situations. I'm wondering for you as a veteran, as you said earlier, you haven't served in combat. Uh, so are are the characters and, and the events in here, are they based off any real things that you witnessed or any real stories that you had? I'm curious about that. You see, you see my little, my yeah, little. You're smirking, smirk people, because as I'm talking, it pants to you, but, but uh, it pants to me, but you're smirking as I say this. Yeah, you know, and, and the reason is because there is, it's really autobiographical. Call Me Hunter is, is you know, they, they had to 
pick a category for it. So they called it a, a thriller, commercial fictional thriller. Um, but actually it, it should be, if there was a category, it would be autobiographical abstract fictional thriller. You know, so it's, it's, I say it's like cubism where you're looking at it and you recognize it's a human form, but, but it's, not, it's not right. It's not the way, it's not realism. Um, and and I, I also say in there that it's, you know, this is my story. And I, in the preface, I say nothing would make me happier than someone with a pile of money who just doesn't want to believe that, you know, they start digging. And, and the deeper they dig, it's like quicksand. Like I say in the preface, it's, you know, they struggle against this suspended reality. They're going to they're going to end up sinking in the quicksand and, and which is the novel's hold. And then in the end, they're going to be faced with having to make a call. What you know, is this real? How much of this is real? You're asking me to give it away. And I, I, I'll tell you this, and I'll, I'll do it with nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> uh, it, it's 80% truth and 20% fiction. And the, the fiction part is anything that would put anybody in jail. So well said, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's, but um, the, every, you know, it's my story. So the characters are me. You know, the characters are me. Not, I mean, Zhivago, <laughs> the, the villain, isn't me, but it's characters that I've encountered along the way that are so ideologically extreme that it, it's just, it's beyond humanity. And that that's, you know, you don't have to look very far in our world to see people like that, that are so far outside, they've, they've just lost humanity because their ideologies are, are, are so, they're so fixated with their ideology, they can't even countenance another point of view. And, and hence you end up with, with this intense hatred and a disrespect for humans and human life, human feelings. You know, I, I flipped the stereotypes around. I made it an animal rights extremist, the, the villain in the uh, in the novel, Call Me Hunter. And, and I made the anti-hero, he's not a hunter. There's no killing of animals. It's nothing about hunting, but it is about hunting because it's a, it's a lifestyle, a spirituality that he, that the, the anti-hero discovers as, as he goes along in this novel. And then the young protagonist, a lady, a young lady in her 20s, you know, she also slowly starts to, to realize that, that she has, a, again, back to the word kindred spirit with, with the wildlife, with the wild places, with the animals, with, with living a field-to-table lifestyle to make it a little bit prosaic. So, so all, of these, all of these are characters that exist in the real world that I've encountered, yes. Um, every one of them. And, and, you know, the situations are the fictional part, depending. Like I say, if I put somebody in jail, then it's it's fiction. It didn't happen, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm just saying it's fiction. <laughs> yeah, and no, I so, got you. So so it's not, yeah. For, for legal purposes, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. But, I, you know, I mean, any of the other parts of it are, yeah, they're, they're, they're true. I mean, <laughs> you can pick out specific instances and ask me and I'll, I'll tell you, somebody asked me about Lonnie Anderson the other day. Cause I you know she's mentioned in there and Stephanie Zimlis and Michelle Lee, that they had a, a dinner or lunch with a absolutely most beautiful woman in the world. And, and, uh, and a cinematographer, Laszlo George uh, in Vancouver, along with the character Hunter or Icarus at the time. Um, you know, and, and this person that, you know, they were digging and they couldn't find any references. Well, 
maybe you didn't dig enough. You know, maybe it's your desire just wasn't enough to figure it out. So I, you know, I walked them through Google. Google, you know, those three actresses, when were they together? Well, they were in Vancouver in the 1980s. And they did a movie together, Tale of the Three Wives. And the cinematographer was Laszlo George. And if you look down the list of cast of characters, there's Louise Johan. Well, my wife's maiden name was Johan. She was there. And so was I. Well, so was the character Hunter, because Hunter's, you know, I'm real, Hunter's fictional. But that all happened. And there's no way that, and I say there, that Lonnie Anderson, she can't deny it. Neither can Stephanie Zimlist or Michelle Lee. They have to, they can't deny it because they were there. Laszlo George just passed away, sadly. But, um, but you know, they can't, they can't deny that these, these events happen. Goldie Hawn, you know, I say she's got a cute giggle. She does. You know, because she can't deny having a lunch with the character, you know, in this in this novel and being one of his customers. I mean, I I know that it's a fact, but but the names have been changed. That's why I say they won't recognize Michael Crichton. You know, Tom Selleck. I mean, just movie star people. But it goes on and on and on and on in this novel. These are all when you've lived a life out on the outside of that bell curve, you know, out on those fringes out there. Then then really truly um fact is is um more unbelievable than fiction and that's all i've done in this novel is, is just tied all those ends together and it's why the whole way as i was living my life i was writing this novel my was living the novel so writing it was easy i just had to sit down and actually get it down on paper i already had it written in my head because i'd lived it sure yeah and you you kept the receipts as they say so uh what's <laughs> What's next for Jim Shockey? I mean, the, you, you've done so much. As you said, you're winding down the uh, the travel. You're getting this novel out there. What What's the next challenge for you? Well, I, I've signed a, a two book deal with Simon and Schuster, awesome. and they were pretty. Yeah, they were pretty specific that it had to be another thriller. So, so I, you know, I, I mean, I've got four other books, five even four that are ready for for. Um, they've been copy edited. They're ready for design. Oh, wow. But they're not in the they're not in the thriller genre, um, so so you know if I had one of those in, they they probably go we want <laughs> we want a, 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 a sequel and it's not a sequel it's it's the rest of the story. Yeah, I'm stealing that line, but um, I always envisioned it as three books because I I didn't unless you wanted a 1,200 page novel which no one's going to read it had to be three books because you just can't tell the story in in a one one tomb it's got to be it's got to be more actually the, the last four chapters of call me hunter were my intention was to have them as the first four chapters of book two but uh i was informed in no uncertain terms that a first-time novelist cannot leave a cliffhanger for the readers you know it's, you know it's, it's just not done said so if you were stephen king you could do it but you're not stephen king so i i took the first four chapters from the second uh you know the sequel and, and added them to the back end of Call Me Hunter to, to wrap it up a little nicer, but there's still many, many questions that are unanswered that can only be answered with uh, with a you know a second and I, I would say a third novel. What when do you see these being released? Do you have any idea? Well, <laughs> I, I've been pretty busy this last two years. Um, to be fair, my wife was not well, so I you know I was a caregiver for the last two years, and and I just you know for me writing is is a pretty simple 
chore, but it's a chore. You know, get up at four in the morning, right till noon, and and then do it every day, you know, seven days a week, and you get from noon on. But I could not, I could not uh, dedicate my time, what time I had with my wife left. I, I couldn't use it to write a novel. So understand. So that it, it puts me, you know, about two years behind the um, behind the eight ball. You know, to mix my metaphors, it, it it'll. Uh, so I, I would say you're looking at two years. Okay. Be- before I'll, I'll get the, the sequel out. And they, they'll probably, you know, they'll probably hear this at Simon & Schuster if they're listening to these podcasts and then say, well, no, 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 you're going to, you know, because it, it doesn't. I'm sure David's listening. Yeah, there you go. Dave. Sorry, David. I'll have, <laughs> it re- I'll, have, I'll have it ready in a year. But, but, you know, it's not the, um, the, the speed that the writing industry works. This novel publishing world works is, is glacial. Like, you know, I make decisions, bang, bang, bang. I, you know, run my little empire and, you know, I make a call. Okay, you know the facts, boom, boom, boom. But it doesn't work like that. It, it takes, it took Emily Bessler and I a year to, to edit it. You know, I, I, I've read that Call Me Hunter 10 times. And, and you have to read it each time and change, you know, just not the right word. Words are, words are, it's like colors. They have to be perfect color, you know, the perfect line. You, you can't just throw a word in there. Um, so, so it, I, I could write it in six months. I could, you and I could be talking six months from now and I could show you the manuscript. That's, that's about what it would take me to write it. Um, but then, it, then you have to go, then it gets into the, into the bloodstream as it is. And, and, you know, it just takes time to edit it. You've got to go over and over. And, you know, I asked Emily, you know, who, uh, I can't remember who she said, you know, how, how clean their work comes in on the first raw manuscript but uh you know I, i'm a i'm a i'm a storyteller you know and i'm not a, a you know english lit i never got higher than a c mark so so i'm a storyteller and, and that means you know i use words not always the way the queen wanted us to use her english so so i you know I, it, it took four passes before it was cleaned up enough where where she felt it was ready for publication i, I actually just read it i'm reading it again and I found a darn mistake in it, a one extra N in a, in, a, in a Hoffman that shouldn't have been there. You know, so even after all that, there's still the odd mistake. And, and uh, so that, that takes time. And I'd say a year. So you're probably the earliest is a year and a half before the sequel comes out. Okay. Well, you could follow Jim for those listening and watching on X or Twitter. You know, now we say X at Jim Shockey underscore at Jim Shockey official on Instagram. As of today, as we're recording this, but this will be out in a week, Call Me Hunter is available. So check it out from Simon & Schuster, Call Me Hunter, everywhere books are sold. Uh, Anything else before we get out of here? This has been a fascinating discussion. I learned a lot. I learned that Shawn Michaels is a hunter. I never knew that before. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it's been great hanging with you. Well, it's been a real pleasure. I got to say when I was, reading what your podcast was about, I was going, oh boy, you're like you, you're the guys you have on are the real deal. And, and I, I mean, hats off, you know, total respect. Uh, you, it's, it's super cool what you're doing. So I, it's an honor for me to be on here. Thank you. And I can tell truly, I mean, once you speak to someone, you, you are the real deal at what you do. And, and that's why you've been doing it for so many decades. That's why you're so well known for what you do. And I think people are going to be inspired when they hear this because 
as as I said earlier on in the show, there's people who are in their 20s or 30s who have life regrets. I didn't join the military. I shouldn't. I think looking at what you've done, there is always new ground to conquer. There is always new things to be passionate about. And you you live your life that way. You, you get one life. Everybody listening, you get one life. And you do not want to be sitting at my age with regrets. Why? You know, it makes no sense. It's your life. Make your choices to, to live it and realize your potential. Set goals and, and try and attain them. I mean, it, like I say, we've got eternity to... To, to rest later on, to be retired later on. Just live this one life with no regrets. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.